Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto Unwrapped. I'm Samuel Burke, Managing Editor at Real Vision. This is the place where we cut through the noise and the hype on digital assets. And doing that with me today, backed by popular demand, is Leslie Lamb, the Chief Marketing Officer of CoinFlex and host of the Crypto Unstacked podcast. And for the first time in the saddle is Moritz Siebert. He's Real Vision's co-head of digital innovation strategy as well as the CIO of Exponential Age Asset Management. There are a lot of winds blowing today, not necessarily in the best of directions. Leslie, I want to get to the price action with you. I was listening closely to that ECB emergency meeting. They came out with a plan for a plan that didn't exactly have a material effect on the crypto markets, but plenty of other things have. Give us a look. Absolutely. So apart from the ECB's ad hoc emergency meeting, today we have the um, Federal Reserve announcing its latest interest rate decision at 2 p.m. Eastern. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier that uh, investors are expecting a 75 basis point rate hike uh, to curb the rising inflation that we're seeing. And this would be the largest rate hike since 1994. Um, and if this is the case, you know, this could drive further monetary tightening in the space putting further downward pressure on stocks, as we've been seeing, and of course, on crypto as well. Um, the week started off with a sharp downturn in the crypto markets, uh, which seems to be sustained uh, up until this point, right? We're, we're talking midweek on Wednesday, uh, the total crypto market cap right now still under $1 trillion at about $911 billion. Uh, Ethereum was one of the worst performing assets in the entire market in the past 24 hours. It's currently trading around $1,100, uh, which is down 7.4% in the last 24 hours. Um, and it's kind of been bouncing above that local $1,000 resistance uh, this week. And Bitcoin as well touched uh, $20,000 earlier this week and is currently trading around uh, $21,300, which is down about 4.4% in the last 24 hours. So the question on investors' minds right now is how much lower? Will the majors like Bitcoin and Ethereum go? Because certainly that's going to pull down a lot of the long tail assets that people are invested in. Another question is what will capitulation look like during this market cycle? Uh, Glassnode, which is a data platform, uh, said on Tuesday that a full scale capitulation scenario uh, could happen with Bitcoin ranging between $20,560 to $23,600. Samuel, we're right in that range right now. And one of the biggest factors that could play into this is what happens with Celsius. Overnight, we've had the Wall Street Journal reporting that Celsius has brought in a group of lawyers from Philadelphia that specialize in what the Wall Street Journal is calling restructuring. Uh, that leaves the future of Celsius in major doubt, a big question mark hanging over them. And Moritz, that's really why I want to turn to you because 
with the pressure that Leslie was talking about on Ethereum, is Celsius the cause of this? I mean, we know that they have a major stake in in staked Ethereum, and so is that's what is that's what driving is that what is driving the pressure here that we're seeing this incredible pressure on Ethereum? Well, I guess um, it's one component, but not the only component. I mean, overall, uh, let's not forget investor portfolios are largely on fire. And that is not just because of crypto. That is, you know, stocks are down, bonds are down, the dollar is up, which is hurtful to most, credits down. Like, you know, people are hurting. Obviously, that is driving correlations up. We've seen the correlation between NASDAQ and, and crypto increase substantially. It's very high at the moment, continues to be high. Um, so yeah, Celsius is one part of it. It's a part of the story, but the overall environment is just uh, everything but perfect for for risk assets. That's for sure. And and the trend, I mean, look, it's it's clearly down. Personally, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ethereum below a thousand. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bitcoin below, you know, fifteen thousand. Um, and maybe this is the flush out that we all still need to see. Um, you know, talking to friends. It looks to me like, you know, we're grinding lower. Yes, those numbers that we're seeing, they're large, like, you know, Leslie has just mentioned them. They're like, you know, double digit losses over, you know, whatever type of time frame you want to look at. But what we haven't really seen yet, at least as far as I could, you know, determine that is like this big, massive red candle where say, you know, Bitcoin goes down another 5,000 points or 8,000 points in two hours. Um, you know, or Ethereum goes down 400, 500 points within three hours, something like that, like pure capitulation. I don't think we've seen that yet. Um, also true, for the way, by the way, for the NASDAQ, I think, you know, we've had last Friday, I think it was like, you know, a close to 6% down day, but we haven't had like the minus 8, minus 9%. Not saying that's required, but it's all kind of like been moving in a little bit more of a slow motion type of movie, if you will. And if you see the Fed later this afternoon raise uh, rates by 75 basis points, is that something that you think is in the realm of possibility to see in the in the Bitcoin market? Yeah, look, I think it's possible for them to do that. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not sure to what extent that is now fully priced in. I, you know, I didn't do didn't do the numbers on that. I think if they're not raising 75 basis points, it could actually, you know, cause a rally in risk assets if it's just 50 basis points. I mean, this afternoon, and I think you've mentioned it, uh, we've had this um, emergency meeting or extraordinary meeting of the ECB. They're talking about a new tool. I'm not sure what that tool is going to be. I don't think they've defined it yet, but, you know, very likely it's going to be something that has to do with money printing, right? And kicking the can down the road and doing QE or bond purchasing program given that those Italian yields have been blowing out. So, and, and we're seeing European bonds rallying today uh, on the back of that. So if, if that continues for the day and the Fed doesn't hike, doesn't hike, hike as much as, as, as people expect, then you know, we could see bonds rallying, we could see the Nasdaq rallying, and I then expect crypto to rally as well. Whether that's sustainable, that is the big question, right? Could you see these fireworks to the top side in the next couple of days? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, debt can't bounce, you know, buy the dip everything rallies and it can be a very violent rally as well but are we going to be you know out of the woods with that i don't know moritz i just want to drill down a bit more on this connection that i'm trying to make between what's happening with celsius and what's happening with ethereum because we have these reports that celsius holds about 470 million dollars in state ethereum Walk people through who aren't quite familiar the differences that, between all this because we're hearing so much about ETH 2.0 lately, Ethereum with the the big 
market slosh today and and staked Ethereum and this this holding that Celsius has. Yeah, it's kind of like the same things, really. People use different words uh, and, and names for it. So staked Ethereum is essentially a derivative token, a Lido issue, you know, derivative token that points to staked ETH on, on the Beacon blockchain, which is supposed to merge with Ethereum mainnet between August and October. That's what people say. Um, and that will move you know, Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake. So that that is so you can stake your Ethereum, you can run a node. You know, if you have 32 Ethereum, then 32 ETH, you can do that yourself, um, but it's it's locked up and, and Lido is liquid. And there's different types of marketplaces where, you know, liquidly staked Ethereum trades or ETH2 trades. Uh, it trades on Huobi, they call it B, ETH, Beth. Um, it trades on FTX, where it's ST, ETH, um, and other places. So, and today it trades at a discount, depending on where you look, I think it's at 94%. Um, on FTX, it's about 90%, I think, on Huobi when I looked this morning. So clearly, there's liquidity stress there. And it's been one of the positions which we now know that, um, you know, Celsius have run. They, you know, used customer funds, and they, I guess they still do use customer funds. And rather than engaging in like a traditional lending book type of business where your classic risks are like maturity transformation and, you know, fixed versus floating and counterparty risks and like in traditional markets, you know, that is that is the business that's run for ages and margins are very thin. It is not completely risk free, of course, but, you know, the, the, the risks are, are known and, and actually hedgeable as well. But I think what Celsius are doing is, you know, they're using customer funds and they're engaging in speculative um, transactions. So they're you know, staking ETH and then they're using staked ETH and, you know, put it into a DeFi yield farming protocol to earn yield and, you know, they take a large margin and the rest gets to, you know, uh, gets paid back to the uh, to the customer. That system is now coming under stress, obviously, and that's the reason why we're halting or they're halting withdrawals. Um, so there we go. But what's your view, Moritz? I mean, if Celsius doesn't survive, I mean, right now this Wall Street Journal reports as they're talking with restructuring, uh, a firm that specializes in restructuring, if they weren't to survive, you know, it could be worst case scenario for some folks. What's your view on what that would mean holistically for the market long term? Long term, actually, I think it would be a positive for the market. I mean, I, I don't wish ill to anyone, really. Um, but, you know, markets can actually get stronger in the long run if the weaker hands are being flushed out, if the non-resilient players are being flushed out. And, it, you know, it seems to me that, you know, Celsius, without critiquing them too much, I'm not a Celsius customer, so maybe, you know, I have an easy tongue talking about that. But I think they've they've run a second-class business in a even less than second-class way, uh, you know, in the way they ran their lending book. Um, and now they're paying for that. So it kind of like it hurts the overall ecosystem of digital assets and blockchain technologies and all the ideas that you know the people in that space have in, in terms of how they want to build a new digital future that is improving our lives which i believe in and i think the earlier we can weed out uh or the, the earlier not we but the non-resilient players are weeded out by market forces uh the better it is and the stronger the system actually gets um there's going to it's going to be a bumpy road right and and there's there's quite a few non-resilient players in the space i'd say and in full transparency and disclosure, Celsius has been a sponsor on the Real Vision platform. But I'm just curious, when, if you say wiped out, I mean, do you think the most likely scenario, if Celsius isn't able to continue, is that another player like Nexo buys them? We've seen, you know, talk of that on, on Twitter from, from folks like Nexo at least wanting to buy parts of it. 
is that the most logical scenario? Maybe I, I really don't know. They're they're now you know engaged with lawyers and you know doing a in air quotes restructuring whatever that means, trying to save their business, which is fine. You know I'm I'm also completely fine for you know those players to survive and kind of like you know have a second chance, but you know improve their business, run a better business going forward, be more transparent about the risks that you do run, right and. And don't, you know, don't engage into staking businesses that lock you up. And by the way, you know, you're not just locked up until, say, August or October, right? I mean, the lockup continues after that. Um, so it, it's a very severe maturity mismatch if you're offering your clients the option to withdraw daily, but you have your own funds or customer funds, non-segregated customer funds tied up for more than a year. And they then need to rely on a liquid staking facility in order to unlock that liquidity, right? And now that trades at a discount, 94 or whatever percent, which, by the way, may not even be the low here. Um, you know, it, it, it might actually go lower. It's, it's kind of like a chicken game. If you think there's more to come, why would you be buying at, you know, 94? Why would you as a trader be lifting the offer at 94 cents to make a 6% return not for the next, you know, two to four months, which brings you to August or October, but for the next, say, 12 to 14 months, you know, until you can actually unlock that thing. Um, that doesn't sound very appealing in an asset class that has 100% volatility. So from a trader's perspective, I'd rather wait for that to maybe trade at 80 and then buy it or even lower. Um, but at 94, I'm not even interested. Wow, talking about those lows is quite sobering when you think that $400 billion in value has already been wiped off the crypto markets in the past week. Uh, Moritz, I just want to pause you for one second. We have questions coming into us uh, on Twitter, YouTube, where we, trans, uh, where we broadcast live. We've got questions coming in on the exchange, our internal social network uh, for Real Vision subscribers, as well as on our pro crypto Discord server. So, Leslie, I want to go over to you and see uh, what questions are coming in. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Viewer question uh, from John Kay uh, on the exchange, and John is asking, in light of what's happened with Terra and Celsius, I'm wondering if Tether is at risk. Moritz, what's your take here on the depegging risk of Tether? It's an ongoing conversation uh, that the space has been having in light of recent depegging of similar so-called stable coins. What's your take here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, what you're referring to is an algorithmic stablecoin Luna, which, you know, has ceased to exist or, you know, Terra has ceased to exist. Um, it's now Terra Classic. Uh, but yeah, so I think Tether, I'm, you know, by the way, I want Tether to survive. Uh, let, let me make that point. I'd like for Tether to change their business model, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe move more towards a circle type of business model where they're fully backed by cash in their collateral pool as opposed to the way that they run it now because the way they're set up now it actually opens an attack vector and and you know not everybody sees that vector 
some professional traders and hedge funds have obviously discovered it. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there who say, you know, Tether cannot be attacked. It's impossible for Tether to be attacked because at the end of the day, there is a real collateral portfolio behind it that is largely consisting of cash. And therefore, um, you know, they cannot be run on the bank. And and that, that is, I think, not correct. Because when you look at the way that you can, you know, trade against Tether, so with Tether the organization, um, you can't actually think about a scenario under which it can come under attack. And, and so today, you know, the Tether collateral pool is about, give or take, 86% cash, cash equivalents, right? So it's not all cash, but it's, you know, cash and cash equivalents. And by the way, that has been attested and audited. So I'm not saying that they're lying about their collateral pool. I think that collateral pool exists and it exists in the way that they describe it. But it is not purely cash. There's 6% um, declared at other investments, including crypto investments, so that it could be Bitcoin, it could be Ethereum, it could be all sorts of things. And then there's, you know, secured loans, unsecured loans, commercial paper and all these type of things, which are a little bit more out of the risk curve. Now, the thing is, you can register with Tether as an organization and you need to have $100,000 or more or, you know, Tether equivalent. Um, so you can't do that for $10,000 uh, notional transaction value, but, you know, for $100,000 or more. Um, you can direct, um, transact directly with them. So you could send them Tether, the token. Let's say you send them 100,000 Tether and they will give you 100,000 US dollar fiat US dollar cash back, right? There's a 10%, sorry, a 10 basis point transaction fee for that to happen. So, but what that means is as soon as Tether is trading at 99.9 .9 or less, that trade actually starts to make sense, right? If Tether trades at 95 cents, which it did for a period of time when we had the Luna debacle, that trades make that trade makes a lot of sense because you can go into the market, buy Tether at 95 cents, send it to Tether the organization, and get 100 back, right? So you're making 5% on that trade, less than 10 basis point transaction fee. So that's 4.9%. If there's a lot of confidence in the market that Tether will stand and survive the test of time, then that gap should close and your own buying because you've lifted the offer at 95 should move the market back towards that one-to-one -one peg. But what you've done with that transaction, if that transaction actually happened at larger scale, you've diluted the, the Tether collateral pool. It, it used to be at 86% cash, but because they're sending you back cash and they can't give you 6% of their other investments and, you know, whatever, 6 or 7% of the commercial paper stuff that they run, now, after you've done that transaction, their collateral is now 85% cash or 84% cash, depending on the size that you're doing, or 83% cash, right? So that means the the level of trust actually doesn't go back up to 100%, and maybe it stays at 95, you know, cents, you know, tether to dollar, and you do this trade again, and then you do it in, in super large size, you know, 20 billion, 30 billion, something like that. And that dilutes maybe, you know, the cash pool down to, to 70% or 60%. And at some point, you know, that just stops. It, it may just drop. Either, you know, the organization calls it a stop and says, we're, look, we're we're done here. We're redeeming Tether at 70 cents or 60 cents. Um, but that's the attack vector, right? And there's all sorts of interesting dynamics that, you know, go along with that. Like, you know, doing that over a weekend where, you know, dollar doesn't settle and it's T plus two or doing it in a period just as now where, you know, the system is already under stress and, you know, a lot of people are looking to withdraw funding 
uh, from the markets and kind of like, you know, uh, put themselves into a safer position. So I don't want to say the game's on. I hope it I hope it doesn't happen. I, you know, I think it has some systemic risk for the overall space. There's a lot of derivatives that are priced in Tether as well. So I don't necessarily want to see that. I'd rather for uh, Tether to change their business model and become a, become a better stablecoin. That that would be the preferred way out for me. But, but Moritz, you say, okay, people say this is impossible, and you're saying this very much is possible. But, I mean, just how likely is this? I mean, I know you can't give me a number, a, a percent, anything like that. But, yeah. I mean, do you think that this is actually something that is a real possibility in the short term? Yes. It is. Look, it, it is a greater than 0% probability. I'm not saying it's greater than 50%, but surely the trade is on. Um, so talking to the people in the market, you know, people have that trade on. There's people out there, uh, you know, short tether and they're willing to borrow tether at relatively high rates. By the way, it is expensive to borrow tether, right? I mean, depending on, you know, how you do it. Let's say it's, you know, between eight and 12%. Say, say it's 10%, right? For the for the ease of using round numbers. Um, the trade is clearly asymmetric, but only you have to get the timing right. If If you... If you borrow Tether for, say, a month or two or three, because that's where you think it's going to happen, you pay one, two, maybe three percent on that position as a borrow cost. And you may make, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 and, and maybe 100, maybe maybe it goes to zero. I, I don't think that is very likely because there is cash and they'll probably pull the plug before it goes to zero. So I don't see the Luna scenario happening, but that's the asymmetry there, right? So you, you say you, you pay 3%, you make 30, so you have a 10X type of trade. But if it takes um, three years for that trade to play out, you've paid 30% in borrow cost, and maybe you're gonna make 30% when, you know, when you're, when you're then riding Terra, uh, da, uh, Tether down. So that's one-to-one, -one, and that's not, a, that's not a good trade, given the wait time. That's another sobering thought to what's been an incredibly difficult week for this entire industry. In fact, if we just zoom out for a second more and look at what's been happening with this industry, we have Coinbase announcing layoffs yesterday. Uh, that was a real shock to a lot of folks, not just in, in markets, but in this industry. And if we can just put up on the screen what this is looking like, if we just go through the list, crypto.com, announcing layoffs of 5% of their workforce, that's 260 people. BlockFi, 20% of their workforce, 170 people. You go down that list there, I mean, companies eliminating nearly half of their workforces. In some case, Bitso, Gemini, Coinbase there, as I started saying. Though, on the flip side of that, you've got Binance saying that they're still going to hire 2,000 positions. Other companies saying that they're going to move forward with 500 possession, uh, positions. I mean, Leslie, I don't know what your take is on this, but one thing that's quite interesting is we've seen the migration of folks over from the traditional finance side, folks who had given up jobs thinking that they were going to go and work at Coinbase, they had already accepted offers, mm -hmm. who now don't have those jobs. Job offers rescinded. I mean, it's a very sobering time. In this industry, I'm, I'm separating that from from the markets, even though they're intrinsically linked, Leslie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just came back from consensus and I would say a lot of the news that we're talking about today um, really surfaced towards the back half of the conference. Um, I would characterize consensus 2022 as crypto with rosy glasses um, in that I think people acknowledge internally, um, you know, if not within certain peers, that 
crypto winter is likely here and that we're in a bear market, but that wasn't the talk of town. Um, and as as it goes typically with conferences, you know, people are meeting for the first time off Zoom, for example, and those in-person connections and having those conversations uh, tend to take precedence and, you know, be more top of mind than actually what's going on in the space. Um, you know, but I saw a, a, a headline about a day or two ago saying that this past conference was uh, a goodbye conference to the bull market, right? What a what a sobering headline that is, because you know what you typically want from these conferences is people feeling refreshed, excited to go out, continue to do business, and you know see the ecosystem thrive. Um, but quite honestly, from this past consensus, um, you know what we're seeing more of, I think, is people just acknowledging, look, it's not that the good days are over. You know, there's still a lot of head a lot ahead for the crypto industry. Um, but in terms of operations uh, of, of crypto companies, look, it's the survival of the fittest when it comes to crypto winter, right? Cash is king, as we were talking about in a previous episode with all of the, the, the companies out there in this space uh, securing funding, which is not a lot at this point. You know, those will be the operations that continue uh, onwards during this crypto winter. And, you know, the big question is, how long? How long will crypto winter be around for? Um, how thin will that ice cap be uh, compared to earlier periods um, in, in, in other market cycles? Yeah, but, I mean, to be fair, a lot of these companies are already heavily capitalized. I mean, of course, companies like Coinbase, you know, were, although we've seen, you know, their stock price go down significantly. But if you've got Andreessen Horowitz backing you, Leslie, I mean, you're still going to you know, plan, you're still going to move forward. No, I mean, that's at the end of the day, even with the pain that this market is suffering, there are a lot of companies that technology is going to prevail and they've got the backing to do it. Is that part of the reason that maybe, I guess we shouldn't say blinders were on at consensus, but because they've got the, the money that there is the belief and, and the backing to be able to, to plow ahead? I think it's about one thing and that's being disciplined with your balance sheet. And a lot of these companies that are coming out and saying we're making cuts of this size, you know, this percentage of the entire operation, um, one way to think about it is that it's it's prudent. Um, you know, of course, offers being rescinded that have already be, been out on the table um, that is very hurtful, right, to those who were excited about joining and, you know, in terms of opportunity cost, maybe left something that was safe, um, you know, in anticipation of joining an ecosystem that has a lot of upside. So that I fully understand. Um, but the the companies that have been around and Coinbase is one of them, you know, they've been around since I think 2012, 2013, they've been through market cycles. And, um, you know, likely this is one of their responses to what they anticipate could be coming. So it's all about being disciplined with your balance sheet because nothing is guaranteed, right? Um, you know, even if you have recently raised funds, it's about, you know, how long can you sustain those funds? You want to be able to be in operation that is around, you know, two to three years if crypto winter does, you know, take that long. Um, so, so I really think it, it goes back to um, this balance sheet question, people tightening that up, um, you know, without really knowing how much further we can go in terms of crypto prices. And you weren't the only person that consensus Real Visions. Elaine Lee was there. If you follow Real Vision on Twitter, you will see a lot of her this past weekend. Uh, she had a chance to speak with Sydney Powell, the CEO and co-founder of Maple. Let's take a listen to what uh, Sydney told Elaine out there at Consensus 2022. So I 
have with me Sydney Powell. Sydney, you've just finished having your interview, you appeared on Real Vision, and now we find each other at Consensus in Texas. How do, how should we prep for crypto winter for the next six months? That's imminent now, that's coming, we're sort of there. Yeah, so I think, I mean, anyone, any, certainly anyone who's building should focus on stacking their treasury so they can kind of ride out what could be a prolonged, you know, one to two year bear market. Uh, but for people who are capital allocating, I think, you know, you want to have some allocation, like some people will have the appetite to buy the dip. I think the problem is that when everyone's in the dip, they think it's going to go lower. Um, so I'd say, you know, smart smart capital is probably going to be allocating some uh, some amount to buy the dip and take the volatile assets, but then a lot to, you know, fixed income plays and yield. So they get capital preservation and are still earning income and yield on their, uh, you know, on, on, on their capital stack. Love that. Well, it's only... Uh, what? What's the time now? 9.30, Sid Powell at Texas Consensus, Maple Finance. Thanks, Elaine. Sydney Powell, CEO and co-founder at Maple with Real Vision's own Elaine Lee. Really echoing a lot of what you were just talking about, uh, Leslie, about having a, a balanced sheet no matter what type of business you're running, individual or uh, a major company like that. I want to get to one more viewer question. Uh, we've got uh, one from Max here, our own uh, Real Vision producer intern. How does this crypto winter compare to previous previous crypto winters? Will it be the worst due to so much capital in the crypto ecosystem compared to previous cycles? Moritz, I'll put that one to you. I was a bit dubious of people, uh, especially kind of in the mainstream media, hearing them talk about crypto uh, yesterday saying, oh, well, we've already seen this in December of 20." Uh, 2020, we saw something very similar. I mean, they're really different uh, winds blowing in different directions. And now, of course, you have crypto so much. Uh, it's much more closely linked to what's happening in the general market as well. So uh, I'll let you ask that. But that's my perspective, uh, Moritz, for, for your answer. Yeah, uh, history never repeats, but it does rhyme. By the way, I'm, I'm not really a fan of crypto winters or anything like that because the sample size in crypto is so ridiculously small. I mean, you know, Ethereum got launched in 2015. Bitcoin's around since, you know, 20, uh, 2009. So, you know, we're talking about a very, very, very short time frame um, during which we've seen a couple of cycles. But to really kind of like, you know, extrapolate that into, you know, future winters, and it's always going to be like that, you know, moving in phases. I think that's a bit, uh, is almost laughable to me from a from a trader's perspective. The markets will do what the markets will do. Um, there's a halving coming up in Bitcoin in about two years time. Yeah, I mean, let, let's see what happens. Um, I really don't know. The, the thing I do know is, you know, there's a lot of groupthink going on in this space like you know you, you you talk to people and everybody loves this ethereum and, and by the way i do too i i think i do like it because of different a different reason like i have a longer term view on on the space i it is today the smartest uh, the, the largest you know smart contract platform out there and i think it has a chance of even increasing its mode around it uh even more given you know the developer community around it and, and how many people are using it um, after the merch and then, you know, maybe two, four years down the road with sharding, uh, making it even faster. This is why I'm, you know, long Ethereum. Um, I'm not long Ethereum because of the upcoming merch. I think there's a bunch of groupthink behind, you know, this type of narrative is like, oh yeah, we have to wait another two or four months and then, you know, the, be uh, the beacon blockchain will merge 
with mainnet and therefore we're we're going to see 10 times better ethereum and therefore you know ethereum needs to be trading at 10 times today price i think that is a far too naive thought is group think your way of saying hype because we did hear a lot of i mean very smart voices telling us at a real vision conference that you and i attended in london about i mean possibly eliminating the vast amount of uh, carbon emissions that that Ethereum causes with ETH 2.0 with the upgrade. Do you believe that? Oh well, yes. I mean, going forward, you can essentially run it on your on your notebook, right? It's no longer going to be proof of work. It's it's no longer going to be guzzling energy, um, you know, electricity to be precise. Um, so yeah, but it's also a different consensus mechanism, right? It, it you know, I'm not in the camp where. I would say that you know proof of stake is immediately superior to proof of work only because it doesn't require the energy input you know something gives and something takes i mean proof of work is incredibly resilient um i know it has the attack vector on the e from the esg side of things because it does use electricity that you could use for other things even if it's renewable electricity now you know first and foremost but yeah, it does have that energy intense footprint, which, you know, proof of work or proof of history, sorry, proof of stake or proof of history, like all these other type of consensus mechanisms don't have. Maybe it's going to be of larger appeal to, you know, the ESG minded investor and they will, you know, move forward and, and, and buy some Ethereum because they now can because they can put it into the ESG box and, and say it's green. I don't know. Again, I think, you know, long term, it's it's going to go higher short term it might as well go way lower <laughs> but i don't i don't think in like winter or summer crypto winter or whatever type of faces when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply we're, we're going to wrap up here with uh, this segment about what we don't have time to talk about, but you need to know. Uh, the first story here is that Binance uh, was sued over the collapse of the Terra USD stablecoin. Uh, the plaintiff is accusing Binance Exchange of falsely advertising Terra as a safe asset. Um, and really the, the crux of this story uh, and this argument is that it centers on whether Terra USD or UST uh, is considered an unregistered security. Moritz, what's your story? Um, so what I found interesting uh, in the last, you know, 48 hours is, is of course, you know, people talking about MicroStrategy and, you know, Michael Saylor and, and you know, whether there is a possible level at which MicroStrategy uh, needs to cry uncle. And I, I forgot the name of the podcast, but about a month or so ago, I listened to a podcast uh, where Michael Saylor in, in much detail explained why really the only level that mattered were is, is kind of like Bitcoin at around 3000 um and then that that where that is the level where it becomes hurtful can bitcoin go to three thousand yes of course it can um is it likely i i don't know maybe not maybe it doesn't go down there anymore but it, it is a possibility it's a non-zero possibility for bitcoin to go there i i hope it doesn't but it can and that would be super interesting whether twenty-one thousand is a level 
I don't know. I mean, he explained that it is not. A lot of people on Twitter say that is the level because they've apparently read something in the bond covenants or this and the other thing. I don't know. It's not my skill set. It's not my a good use of my time to read these bond covenants because I don't have the trade on. I don't intend to put a trade on around it. So I don't really care. Um, and but yeah, let's see. I mean, <laughs> 3000 would be uh, would be quite something. That's probably a very, very good level to buy. A very good mm -hmm. level to buy. And Samuel, just, what's your story? One more to finish out the show, Leslie. Uh, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of rumors about Three Arrows Capital swirling online, but they haven't done themselves any favors, I have to say. I mean, this is this major fund out of Singapore. And we had one of the founders tweeting this. We are in the process of communicating with relevant parties and fully committed to working this out. A rather vague tweet that leaves a huge question mark over Three Arrows Capital. Maybe by next week's edition of Crypto Unwrapped, we'll know what the this is that they're working out. Leslie, Moritz, thanks so much for joining us. That's it for this edition. We will be back here live next Wednesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. In the meantime, you can talk to us on the exchange over at our Pro Crypto Discord. And just a couple of programming notes. Rao has an interview coming out with Ryan Budaleb of OnCyber. That comes out Friday at realvision.com and on the Real Vision app. And we have our consensus wrap-up coming out this Saturday. That's free for all Real Vision subscribers. Until then, we'll see you next week.